You can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, the ushers are coming forward with Bibles. We'd love everyone to have a copy of God's Word in their hand. This morning we're going to look at some important verses here from, from the Sermon on the Mount. And so have your Bibles open, have your pens handy, have your notebooks ready to go, or your connection cards so you can... Uh, take notes and, and some important things to write down in scripture references. I want you to get after God's word and, and to study it and, and to follow along and to go home this week and, and look at it and study it and allow God to do a furthering work in your life. This past week in the news, uh, it was all over in the news again that Paul Bernardo went before the Parole Board of Canada making an appeal to be released from prison. Now, if you're a little younger here, you won't remember this, but in the, in the early 1990s in our nation, our nation was sickened by the, high, by the heinous crimes committed by Paul Bernardo and his wife, Carla Homolka. I won't go into the detail of their crimes and what they did, but in short, it was sick, it was terrible, it was brutal what they did. Thankfully, his request for parole was denied, but he is once again eligible to apply in two years. This statement that I saw online from the Toronto Star and this caption caught my attention and it was basically, face it, schoolgirl killer Paul Bernardo will one day be free, will one day be free. And the article went on to say that with the way our judicial system is set, that his release will probably sadly be one day a reality. But since that time, and even before that time, and since that time, there have been countless other crimes that have been similar in nature. And I think because of the whole social media world that we live in, we start to become accustomed and, and almost numb to the appalling crimes that we hear. And weekly, we can hear and we read those stories. Hundreds of murders in our nation every year. Seven, eight, nine hundred, depending on the year here in Canada. But then I was reading that this week, in the city of Chicago, in one year alone, one year alone for the city of Chicago, we'll have as many murders as we will have here in Canada. And you just think, that's terrible. Hundreds of people being killed every year. Around our world, it would be countless thousands and thousands of people. Murder is so destructive. It is so awful. And whenever it affects a community, when it happens in a community, there's a great effect that ends up taking place. And yet we see from the word of God that all sin is destructive. All sin is damaging and destroying. Thank you very much. Sin causes, all sin causes division and strife, including war in and between nations and families in the workplace and schools and even in the church. We're all guilty. We all stand guilty as individuals who have sinned, who have fallen short. Look how God's word exposes this truth. And here are some verses you may want to write down. Look at Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We're lying if we say, hey, I'm without sin. I've never sinned. Or Romans 5.12, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Or even in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 20, it says, Surely there's not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. 
The scriptures, God's God's word shouts to us and declares to us, guilty, guilty, guilty. And how do you plead? Guilty, your honor. Guilty. I have sinned. I've fallen. I've fallen short. And yet here in Matthew chapter 5 is where in the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus is speaking to the crowd of people overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And as he is speaking these verses today in verses 21 to 25, he exposes the seriousness of sin. You see, because so oftentimes we can easily downplay or excuse or justify our sin, our sinful acts, telling ourselves or even others, well, at least I'm not as bad as some person over there, or, or at least I'm not as bad as that person, or at least I haven't killed anyone. <laughs> Never gone that far. But let's face it, we all struggle. We all have our weaknesses, we all have our faults, our lapse in judgment, our indiscretions. Tell those little white lies, a little bit of cheating on our tax return, allows me to give more to the Lord's work. We take that item secretly that no one is aware of. We're looking at porn. And we easily brush it off and say everyone's doing it. It's not that big of a deal. It's not as bad as this person or that person, or at least I'm not doing that. (laughs) At least I didn't kill anybody. We justify it. And the problem is, though, however, as God's word declares it, that sin is sin. And we all have our weaknesses. We all have fallen short. We all have these laps of of judgment. And yet, God's word in Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, it says, Your eyes, God, are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. God loves us, and yet he cannot tolerate, he cannot live with evil. And so we see that we're without hope in and of ourselves because we've all sinned and all have fallen short. Yet because of Jesus, it's all different. It's all different. Forgiveness and freedom and cleansing is possible because of Jesus. And today, as we look at our series here in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see that we cannot live with sin and have an effective walk with the Lord or have effective relationships with others. And Jesus shows us a higher standard rather than our justifying ways or our making of excuses to allow, that allows for sin. Jesus shows us that our sin is far, far more reaching and more profound and more dangerous than we can ever imagine. And it requires a supernatural transformation. Without being transformed from the inside out, there's no hope. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to, write, going to look at it and I encourage you to write down. There's going to be three insights about sin that we're going to look at that will help us to be transformed by God. We need to know about sin in order for us to be transformed by it. And Jesus hits the nail on the head, head on here. And so we're going to start in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said that it was said, said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. 
Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The first thing I encourage you to write down, first thing here, the first insight into the area of sin is that sin is a matter of the heart. Jesus said, you have heard it said in the days of old that you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Jesus was quoting the Old Testament here, the sixth commandment found in Exodus 20. That says, that states, thou shalt not murder. Believers and unbelievers, no matter what, wherever you go instinctively, we know we have this law upon our hearts. We know it is wrong to kill someone. It just is. We, it's instinctive. We know that, and God's word declares it in the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment. And I, I'm, I'm sure it would have been interesting as Jesus was preaching that day and as he was giving this message, and, and, and uh, you know, the crowd is a little skeptical, wondering who this man is. Is he the Messiah? Is he this Jesus from Nazareth, the Messiah, the one that has been promised? But here he is. He's standing up and he's preaching from the Old Testament. And so they're like, ooh, he's good. He preaches. He's using the Old Testament. He's, he's on track. We like this guy. Okay, he, you know what? This is a good thing. You know, we like him. He's preaching from the Old Testament. He's teaching from the Word of God. And you know, some even turned to others and no doubt said, and you know, if he closes, you know, his message with a Mosaic hymn or, you know, a song of David, I mean, he'll, he'll have my vote for Messiah. I'll, I'll stand with him. I'll support him. But then he goes and he starts digging in verse 22. And he says, but I say to you, now remember last week as we were looking at the previous verses there, we see that Jesus was even, as he stated last week in, in the verses, that he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And what he is going to say here is going to be completely shocking. He's about to make a huge adjustment to the standard of righteousness. Jesus is not just going about fulfilling the Old Testament. He's clarifying it. He's taking it up a step because the Old Testament law was so much. It was about external actions. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm going after your heart. We, we need to get to the root of the problem. We're just dealing with surface level. And so six times until the end of this chapter, we're going to hear Jesus saying over the next number of weeks, when Jesus says, you have once heard it said, and he, he, he takes a command, he takes a scriptural uh, principle, and he'll say, you once heard it said, but I say to you, he's clarifying it, he's taking it up a notch. He is the one who fulfills the law and is clarifying it now because he's going after the heart. And what he has to say today and what he's going to say over the next number of weeks can be devastating for those who think that their external actions is where it's at. If I just look the part, say the part, pretend the part, everyone's going to think I'm, I'm, I'm good. And, and he had the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders and the people there who just thought it was all about external actions. That somehow if I just do enough good and say the right thing, that God will accept me. And Jesus is going to blow that out of the water. The Old Testament law was all about performance. And Jesus is saying, let's go after your heart. I care about your heart. Because all sin starts is a matter of the heart. If we were to draw this out and use a little stick figures kind of thing, it, it, it may look a little bit like that. That's you and me there that is represented there in that person. And, 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 and then there's someone else. And that other person that you know, we look at, we may point the finger and say, now that is a bad person. And, and, and we point out their flaws and their sins and look at what they've done. At least I'm not like them. But what Jesus does is he takes and he draws a much larger circle. A larger circle that encompasses all of us. He widens that circle 
to include every one of us. And here's what he says here as, as he goes on. But I say to you, here's where he steps it up a notch. He's not just looking at that one bad person who's a murderer, but now he's saying, look, at, we're wide in the circle. We're all in this. And he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And right here, Jesus is exposing, and he's saying that our sin starts in the heart. Jesus is saying, yes, you haven't committed murder, you haven't committed actual murder, but in your heart, you have by doing these things. And look at some of the ways that Jesus says that we murder people. First of all, anger. He says, if any of you is angry with his brother... And anger comes in all forms, doesn't it? We all have different temperaments. Each one of us will respond to situations in different ways. First of all, there's a malicious anger. There's a malicious anger that we, this is where we lash out. This is that red face. You know, the blood vessels start popping out, you know. And we give someone a piece of our mind and we rip into them. We say things. We may throw things. We may punch something. Maybe even sometimes someone in, in anger. We retaliate. We get even. And, and we just give it to them. I gave them a piece of my mind. That's what they deserved. And we have this malicious anger. But then you say, but Melden, is all anger wrong? And no, not all anger is wrong. There is a time and a place for righteous anger. Jesus, we saw that in, on two occasions, one at the start of his ministry and one towards the end of his ministry, went into the temple and he flipped over tables because of what they had turned the house of God into. That was a righteous anger. It wasn't something because he was slighted. It was because it was God's glory was being affected. And, and, and things in our world like injustice and sin and, and even false teaching, God's word, there should be an anger towards that. And it's against God's glory. 99.9% of the anger that you and I experience, though, doesn't fit in that category, that we are angry for God's glory, that we are angry over injustice. We're angry because people have ticked us off, because people haven't done what we wanted them to do. And so we fly off the handle with some good old malicious anger. Some of us struggle with that. And you say, hey, it's not like, you know, I'm just cool as a cucumber. I don't get angry at people but you have a simmering anger problem. This is maintaining that stiff upper lip, keeping your cool, keeping your mouth shut. Some of you are like that. You can face just some of the most amazing, maybe at times ignorant or difficult people, and you just are, are very sweet in how you handle it. You're very loving. But then you get home or you get in the car, or if somebody was to register what's going on in your mind, it would be a little bit more something like that. I can't believe it! I can't believe it! And on the inside, that's really what's going on. But on the outside, praise Jesus. Everything's good. I had a good day today. And in the inside, it is awful what's going on. You have this simmering anger. Well, at least I didn't say anything that I'll have to ask forgiveness for, we may think. I have such self-control. Ah, wrong, guilty. God calls this anger. We murder people even in our silence. Silent killers. We can harbor simmering anger, bitterness towards others. And just because we didn't say anything, just because we didn't act or react, doesn't mean that God's eyes are not looking upon us and God would declare us guilty of murder. 
Here's another way we murder. We do it through anger, but another one is through slander and insults. Whoever insults, it says his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be likely, will be liable to the hell of fire. This is talking wrongly about someone, not speaking well. This includes insults to a person's face or gossip about a person. It's in how we think and how we treat another person. You fool. In some translations, it says raka, which is basically you empty head, you blockhead, or you bonehead. One of my favorites, as my kid would, kids would attest. You idiot. We target people, we insult them in such a way. When we drive, that's probably if you were to ask any one of my kids, what is my favorite word when somebody just, you know, doesn't drive properly? And up to my standard, you bonehead. What a bonehead. It's kind of funny, that kind of thing kind of transfers. This morning on our way to church, Nate was driving. Someone was not driving very well. Like father, like son, what did he say? What a bonehead. And I said, Nate, get it out of your system. I said, because after the message today, you're not going to be able to say that anymore. <laughs> this is an insult with a target. And Jesus says we're murdering people when we treat people like this. A family member, a friend, someone in traffic. Jesus is showing us here that every life matters. You watch the most heinous person on TV and you don't love what they do, but you also know that they were made and created in the image of God. And that God loves them just as he loves you. And we don't treat his people, we don't treat his creation in that way. Yes, we can have a righteous anger towards them but not a malicious anger of insults or fool, calling people a fool. How about when it comes to our politicians? Many times we cannot be very kind about them in conversation or in our minds or on social media. We've got to be so careful. Jesus is showing that this sin is a matter of the heart. And just because we never and hopefully never will, anyone in this room, I hope no one here has ever done it, but... Hope no one has ever murdered or will ever murder someone. But just because we never reach the final destination of murder doesn't mean that we haven't been on the road towards it. And we have to be so careful. He's showing us that when we're angry, even when we harbor contempt towards someone or consider them to be a worthless numbskull idiot, whatever word we want to come up with, come up with that's murder in our heart. That's what God says. He's revealing to us our sin. The sin of murder, the sin like this starts in our heart and it starts in some what can seem like innocent or not a very big deal kind of thing. The second thing, I encourage you to write this down, sin requires urgent reconciliation. Sin requires urgent reconciliation. Look at in verse 23, it starts out, it says, so. Now, I encourage you, underline or circle that word so because this is a transition in the text. And Jesus is now bringing us, he's made a statement, and now he's bringing it to the point of application. And so he says, so, 
if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. Jesus is saying here, he's emphasizing, he's saying reconcile quickly. Reconciliation is an urgent matter. Don't put it off. Instead of being angry and allowing it to simmer or for it to go further or just to let it kind of cool off, we are to deal with it head on. We are to look towards seeing broken and damaged relationships healed, not in time, but right away. And this whole, these verses here just, just stress the importance of urgent reconciliation. First, reconcile with God. Look at what he says, because why? Because if we have a bitterness, if we have anger, if we have this sort of disdain in our heart towards one another, it's going to affect our worship. He says, don't even bother worshiping. Don't even bother. And he's saying here, look in verse 23, if you're coming, if, if you're offering a gift on the altar, that means that if, even if you're on the way, and he's given the example here, you're on the way to the great temple, you've traveled uh, even 50 miles or hundreds of miles to the great temple, and you're going to come and offer a sacrifice and you, you've traveled to the temple and, and, and to Jerusalem and you've offered, you have your sacrifice in hand, you have your dove, you have your goat, you have your lamb, whatever it is that you're bringing to sacrifice. And you pass by, the, pass by the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the men, and now you're before the court of the priests. That's the furthest you can go and you're ready to lay your, altar, your gift down on the altar and, and, and give God your sacrifice. And all of a sudden, as the Holy Spirit reminds you that you have something between a brother Put it down, don't offer it. You run out and you go make it right. And he's talking about urgency in this. He reminds us that if we have undealt with issues, someone we have wronged, someone that we have issue with, we walk out of there and we go and we seek reconciliation to make it right. That principle applies today to each one of us. I remember a number of years ago when I was pastoring in, in Alberta, I got into a discussion before the service with one of the ladies in our church. What I had to say to her was, I believe it was in line, but the, my attitude in my heart was not. I had an agenda, and I was harsh with her, and I was not kind. This lady was not going along with what I had wanted or what God's plan was, or so I thought. And I walked away from that little conversation with her feeling somewhat justified but also realizing that it wasn't loving. As the service started, I, we, I was at the front, worshiping the Lord, and, and, and all of a sudden it was like the Spirit of God just hit me. and said, you have no business getting up on that stage and proclaiming my word after what you just did to one of my children. And I looked around for her and she wasn't there. I went to one of our elders' wives who was out in the lobby, and I said, did you see this lady? And she said, yeah, she left a few moments ago in tears. And I thought, I can't go preach. I need to go, and I need to make this right. Thankfully, she, she did live across town, but it was only a town of 3,000, so it wasn't that far. But I remember it was freezing cold. It was a nice, sunny, cold Alberta Sunday. Jumped in the truck, went to her place, she was shocked to see me, but I knew I needed to be there. And there at the front door, I just told her I was so sorry for what I said. And the heart behind it, it wasn't right. And I asked her to forgive me. 
I didn't know if, where the service was at, if they were going to miss me or not. I knew I had to be out for preaching, and I, and, and I made it in time, which was fine. But I knew I had no business serving the Lord that day with any sort of effectiveness or power if I had an unresolved issue in my life in a way that I could resolve. I mean, I was justified. She wasn't getting with my, I mean, with the Lord's plan. I needed to make it right. Unconfessed sin not only affects our lives, but it also affects those that we have offended and have hurt and affects their relationship. It can easily reflect their relationship and their understanding of the Lord as well. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he stated this way, the old uh, pastor, he said this, it is so natural to try to make up for our integrity with ceremony. So natural just to think, well, if I just get busy, if I serve the Lord, if I do this, that, that somehow I can make up for this lack of integrity or this sin in my life. But yet the teaching is so clear that God says that our worship, our service for the Lord, our offering does not take precedence over getting right with a brother or sister who we are at odds with. I wonder today if you are here and spiritually... Maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, I'm in a dry spot. I'm just kind of going through the motions and it's been that way for a while. You're coming to church, you're serving the Lord, you may even put some money in the offering. But as you pray, as you seek the Lord, it just seems like your relationship with Him, the prayers are just going, it's about as high as the ceiling. There's like nothing, you have flatlined. And you're thinking, something's not right here, what's going on? Well, I'll just, and there's a number of different reasons for it. Some of it can be a valley, some of it can be various things. But one of the main reasons that that can happen is because we have undealt with issues and unconfessed sin in our life. God's word is so clear in Psalm 66. David, David um, wrote these words. If I cherish iniquity, if I hold on to sin in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear. My prayers are going to the ceiling. There's no effectiveness. There's no communication coming back uh, to us and, and, and for us to God. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said to, said to Saul, Saul's heart was in rebellion. It was in rebellion from God and and. and Samuel says to him to obey, to obey and to have a right heart with God is better than sacrifice. Because Saul will say, look at all these things that I've done for you. Look at all these different things. I've, been, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And he says, yeah, but your heart's not right. To obey God and to be right with him is better than anything that we can do for him. It's the best thing we can do. How about in the New Testament? Peter's advice to husbands is built on this principle in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since, they're, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is saying that our prayers will be hindered if we are not loving, if we are not fulfilling the call that God has for us as husbands upon our wife. And this principle is transferable. If a man or a woman is living with their spouse in a way that lacks understanding, is difficult, is unforgiving, is unfeeling, our prayers, our relationship with the Lord and with one another, it's going to be off. Our worship is hindered. I like what one pastor said, and I quote this. He says, sometimes we sit around and say, how can we make our church services better? How can we have a more worshipful time? Maybe if we just sing better songs or better music or better sermons or better whatever it might be. Went on to say, listen, if you want to enhance worship, then everyone who's got something against a brother, leave. Make it right and come back. And then we will see the Spirit of God in our midst. 
And I just want you to know, you're free to leave at any time today. It might be awkward if all of a sudden you really have to go to the bathroom. And you think, oh. It's better for you to leave now and make things right with a brother or sister than to even continue on. Because it affects our walk with the Lord. Or you commit right after this message today, I'm making this right. And you ask a brother or sister to hold you accountable in that area. I remember hearing a powerful story from the revival that was started in Saskatoon and spread across Western Canada and other regions of North America. There were two brothers in a church that had a wide, a, a, a long-standing feud with one another. It was commonly known in the church that these brothers had had a, a falling out but continued to attend the same church. One would enter one side of the door of the church and, and sit on one side, and one would enter another door and sit on the other side. They would not talk. It was awkward. Church leadership had to plan things around knowing that these two men didn't get along. But then the Holy Spirit of God convicted them, and they reconciled. They asked one another for forgiveness. And in one of their services, they, they came towards the front and shared what God had done. And then they sang a duet together. It had been years since they've sung. What that did and the ripple effects it sent throughout the church and even the community, as people were getting right with brothers and sisters in Christ, family, friends, spouses, was just incredible. As the Spirit of God is at work. Jesus says, settle the matter quickly, with urgency. This is what he's getting at. Ask for forgiveness. Take the low road. Own up to what you said or did and expect nothing in return. It may not go well. The person may tell you um, with, with hand signals or with words or whatever to get lost and have no interest, but you take care of your responsibility. More than likely as you go with humility and you're not going pointing fingers, you're, you're coming in a sense of, of, of humility before that person and asking for forgiveness, more than likely it's going to go well. And God will bring about a reconciliation. Take care of your part of it. Go and do all that is within your power to make that right. Get on the phone. Meet someone for a coffee. Show up at their house and be, be reconciled. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you today about this area. You need to get it right today. Make it right with him. Jesus gives us two examples of urgency. One is about worship. It's going to affect our worship with God if we hold on to this area and if we don't deal with it in an urgent matter. But then he also gives a second example of urgency. And the first one was dealing with a fellow believer and your worship of God. But the second one has to do with someone, more than likely the reference was to someone who was outside the church, someone who possibly wasn't a believer. And, and it says in verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Again, Jesus here is just emphasizing with great importance the urgent need for reconciliation and to get it done and get it done quickly. Make amends and do it quickly before it gets out of hand. Before it goes to trial, before you get pronounced guilty, before you go to jail, before it becomes a bigger issue, don't put it off. And so often after we think, oh, it's not a big deal. It'll work itself out when the time is right. And Jesus is saying here, no, now, get it done. And even if it's kind of in the final stages and you think, it, you know, wherever it's going, settle immediately. Make it right. And the third reason and the third insight we get here is unconfessed sin has consequences. 
Look at verse 26. It says, Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. He's not dealing... If we don't deal with the issue quickly, we hold on in stubborn pride, waiting for the other person to, to come to us or to smarten up or to you know, perform in the way that we want. There will be a price to pay, is what Jesus is saying here. If we don't deal with it right away... First of all, no one wins. It's going to go, it's going to get ugly and it's going to become bigger and bigger. Even if it seems like it's going away, it's going to have a ripple effect. Does it seem, does it seem at times in our lives that we have these issues and we can just blow past it? But what he's getting at here is that there will come a time that God, the righteous judge, will pronounce a judgment on us. I don't, we don't know. He doesn't give the insight into this fully here in this passage, but the thing that he's getting at is sin has consequences. One thing we know, we can't truly worship God. We can't be in right relationship with God when we're out of relationship with other people. And the Apostle Paul, he, he reminds us in Galatians 6, he, he made it very clear. He says, do not be, de be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And then he goes on in verse Verse 8 of Galatians 6, he says, The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. There's always a harvest. And that's why we need to deal with the weeds. We need to deal with the stuff because even weeds are harvested if we don't deal with them, if we don't cut them off at the root. Sin has its consequences. Undealt with sin. It leaves a trail of destruction for us, for our families, for relationships. We need to deal with it today. Confess it today towards God. Make it right with others. And there will be a freedom. Yes, there's a humbling that comes with that. God honors that. You will be free. And so who is a murderer this morning? Guilty, Your Honor. Guilty. Whoever's been angry with a brother or sister? Guilty, Your Honor. Anyone ever call someone else a name verbally or internally to your spouse, to your parent, a child, family member, someone in leadership in your life, said it verbally or under your breath, guilty, your honor. Whoever's held a grudge, guilty, your honor. Every one of us. I'm with you in that completely. We're all guilty, and so what do we do? We run to Jesus. He's our living hope. He is the only help that we have. He is the only alternative. He is the best alternative. He is the mighty one who will save, who will heal, that who will forgive. First of all, we run to him for salvation if we've never done that. Would we be saved today and come under his grace and his mercy in our lives? You see, the whole point that Jesus is getting at here as, as he's driving us to the fact that we cannot be righteous on our own. He's nailing the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the crowd that's there is you can never do enough to get right with God because we're all murderers. We've all fallen short of God's standard and this is what he's just getting at. He's, he's exposing this. We're, we're sinful in the heart and Christ makes the remedy. Christ is the remedy. He provides that. He pronounces the condemnation, but then he provides the freedom and the healing and the forgiveness that goes with that. And he drives us to the foot of the cross. 
because it was there at the cross where Jesus suffered and died. He suffered in hell, our punishment that we so deserve. He took it upon himself. And to all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will not only be saved, but we will be forgiven. And time and time again, as we continue to, to, to walk the journey of life and, and in this process of sanctification, as we grow to become more like Christ and be transformed, we're going to have these relational issues and we need to nip it in the butt. This is biblically how we are to deal with it, not just let it simmer and think it's going to go away. Time heals nothing. And there will be a price to pay. Even as we stand before God, we will all give an account of our relationships one day before God. Did we make those relationships right that were severed, those relationships that left in anger? You see, no relationship ever, it never, never fully ends. We may block people on Facebook, on Instagram. We may try to get rid of everyone who we've had a relationship with. That relationship continues. Are we right with all people? If there are people we need to make things right, may we take, in a heart of humility, make those things right. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, came so that we could be reconciled. So that we can then, in turn, be reconciled with those around us. That's the gospel. He sets the pattern. And His love, if we understand what He has done for us in the gospel, in forgiving us, messed up, royally, us, Royally messed up Melvin Luther, he forgives me. How can I not forgive and want to be in right relationship with those around me? Because he has done that for us. Murderers are welcome. That's you and me. Let's bow our heads. We spend some time just thinking and praying. You struggle with anger in your life? Maybe you're not even angry at a person or a situation anymore, but you have bitterness. By what God's word says, can I encourage you? Can I challenge you? Can I plead with you? Make it right today. Make the phone call. Book the appointment. Go see that person. It might even be on your drive home. It might be a person in the car. Is there anyone in your life that you are at odds with? Seek to be at peace on your end, to be right with them, to be reconciled. If you are allowing a grudge or an offense to fester, restore it. Confess it and come before the Lord. You know what's going to happen when we do that? There is going to be this weight the clogged up pipes are going to be cleaned out. And his power and his blessing, his authority will return to our lives through the word of God, through his spirit. As David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation because in reality, the joy of your salvation has been wrecked. Deal with it. Deal with those areas of sin, whatever it is. Maybe it's not even an area today of sin with someone sin in a relationship with someone and anger as we've been talking about maybe it's another area to so deal with it today humility and brokenness and a heart repentant heart no buts no excuses I'm sorry God first and foremost make it right with God 
And as he leads you and as he prompts you, people come to mind. Ask God to give you the power and the strength to be set free from that anger. We need to go to them and make it right. Go and do that. Maybe they, they, you've been an innocent victim in what's going on, and that can be the case. But you're angry internally. Ask God to forgive you for that anger and ask him to replace that anger with a heart of love. You don't have that love. The Holy Spirit has it in measured amounts ready and available to pour into your life so you can pour that into the lives of others. God, I pray that even now we would seek to be reconciled first and foremost to you. That you would be more than worthy of all that we ever are and ever hope to be because of your son, Jesus. Would we be reconciled to you in our relationship with you and our relationship with others? Give us the power, the strength to do what needs to be done. And God, then we know that we can also claim the victory in Jesus' name joy that will return, the joy of being set free from this bondage that we've been walking in, that we've been carrying, that we've been loading that on to others who have felt the effects of our anger. Oh God, set us free so we can worship you this day and always. Thank you that you are a good, good father. You will help us and you will empower us by your spirit to live the life that you've called us to live. We're going to 